The following program is an artistic work of fiction and falsehood. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the broadcasters or the management thereof. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, I'm glad you're here. I'm media disruption developer Kai Hubers, and this is EurekaCast, now where science meets technology meets you. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hey there, Rowan. Hello, and shall we have tonight a locus on gentle, focused engagement? That was beautiful. I, I, I am in, I'm in awe of, of, the, of the poetry there. Rowan. Well... It is the eve of poetry in a way, because it as is. this show goes yeah. live, it is the day before one of the most important and I think cherished holidays known to people. And that, and, and that is ops, that is very, very true, especially considering that this holiday is known as something of a of a day of poetry. Uh, if you think about it. Absolutely. 100%. It, it, it's a day that we all look forward to all year. It's a day to spend time with with loved ones around the world. Uh, and well, I mean, I don't. I I shouldn't uh, pre- prelude this so much. Why don't we just say it together, Rowan? Three, two, one. International Day. Day of Code. That's oh. right. February fourteenth is the International Day of Code, and this year was a really big one. This is one that I've been gearing up for all year long. I'm it, sorry, Rowan. Wait, wait, Rowan. What did you say? Uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, February fourteenth. Yes wherein one would spend time with a lover or lovers um oh. you know in a in a in a uh, romantic or perhaps not romantic mere maybe just sort of a um just in general perhaps just being next to someone right well i was of course celebrating the 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 holiday that happens on the second sunday of every Fre- february um and that is international day of code it's 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 a day where Research organizations and just lovers, hobbyists all around the world come together and work on a really big, really important coding project. Um, and, and, and I mean, this year is going to be really, really great. That's, that's fascinating. Um, is, so you are, you do not have plans for Valentine's Day as such. Well, I mean, what, from what it sounds like, Rowan, it sounds like I have this very important plan where yeah. we are going to teach, uh, hear me out here, we are going to teach e coli how to code i can see how that would you would be double booked in that case um on the one hand perhaps spending some nice time with someone you love and cherishing one another or teaching gut bacteria how to code i i could see where the two of those could that's a difficult choice to weigh definitely i i'm not sure i see where you're coming it doesn't seem like a very difficult choice to me rowan we have universities all across the world 30 different countries including ghana sweden and poland are coming together to to train e coli how to code think of the think of the applications we can train uh we can train e coli to uh, tell us when it's there tell us when it's on food all, all sorts of things i mean i think think about the life saving and 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 optimizing abilities that we have from from this very basic experiment now um and we're coding in one of the most practical coding languages oh there and is. what's that dart 
Dart. Yes. We are actually we are coding. We are teaching this uh, uh, this gut bacteria how to make a basic web application. My first question to that would be, how? What is the this bacteria? How is it interfacing with a program to or a, a computer to be making these programs? Uh, well, uh, it it could be many different ways. Um, we expect it to be directly into Dart. We expect it to sort of write the code using sensors and things. Same same as us. If you think about it, a keyboard is just sensors. All we have to do is teach E. coli how to interact with a computer in a way that is sort of similar, but not necessarily exactly the same as like a keyboard or a mouse or or something. And and it's already there. It's already done. And remember, we have. We have research institutions from around the world, 30 different countries, including Ghana and Poland. Well, that's that's just fascinating. Um, International and, Day of Code this year, much better than it was last year. Uh, what happened last year? Well, last year, and you won't believe this, Rowan. Last year, we actually coded. We actually coded the entire Earth. We coded the Earth. Really? Yes. And it, it's the it's we said it was the biggest hello world uh the hello, hello world program ever made well that is certainly fascinating and sounds <clears throat> fulfilling oh, do you know what you know i don't know what would be coded in it um was it dart yeah so uh that's wonderful for you kai and mm-hmm. i'm glad that you are spending time doing um spending that day doing something it's, that you, it's a very that you important love. It's a very important year. I ask all the citizen scientists, citizen scientists out there, consider spending your time tomorrow, the second Sunday of every of this February of two thousand and one, spending your time helping us. You you two can help us teach E. coli how to code. Well, um, international International Day of Code. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Anyway, uh, Rowan. I mean, enough about me. What about? Uh, what about you? What what are what do you have? What story have you brought for us this week? What right. is your Eureka story this um, week? I happen to have something I'm very excited about, and I think many listeners might be very excited about because this is a anniversary or a Eureka anniversary, and we are celebrating that it has been a hundred and fifty years of Maxwell's demon. That really yes. 150 years. So I mean, typically, so typically, what we do is we bring in different stories. This is, of course, a show where we talk about uh, the the science and technology that invades our lives every single day. And this this uh, this story, it sounds like you've brought in something of a something of a eureka versary. Yes. So uh, 150 years ago, James Maxwell, famous for his equations, of course. Of course, we all know him. We all and we all know that his very famous Maxwell relations. Um, mm-hmm. They he published the first ever description of an entity that could break the second law of thermodynamics. Um, mm. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Right. Well, let me. Well, let's get a little context for this. Yeah. So I'd love to. A hundred. And 49 years ago, James Maxwell published The Theory of Heat, a seminal work in thermodynamics. Yeah, bestseller, uh, I would dare say. came out in 1872, and the, the protagonist of this book, really the, the sort of the, uh, the, the, the breakaway character in right. The Theory of Heat was Maxwell's demon. Um, now, now was, this, uh, what was, this, was this written in, in third person or, or first person? How was this... How was this? 
demon introduced. It, it was more of a one could almost imagine a precursor to a graphic novel mm, in a way, wherein there would be illustrations, and the illustrations would involve this this little di- diabolical figure. Fascinating, um, a seminal. Word. The thing is, though, that that was 149 years ago. Right, 150 years ago. In 1871, Maxwell's demon was first described and conceptualized in a letter to John Strutt. Maxwell's demon, um, 150 years of him. Wow. Uh, now, I, uh, do we have a copy of these letters? Um, they can be found online. Um, wow. It was description of something that could be roughly approximated today as a... Um, an original a character, um, a, sort of a, a a catalyst for this thought experiment. Right. I think. I mean. I think early. I mean. I mean early. Uh, early drafts of this character, as I recall, were, were sort of a combination of a of a dragon and a squid, something along those lines. Um, and in very separate from sort of the conception of him in popular culture right. today. Um, and I do want to, before I get too far into this, I do want to make a minor nitpick, which is to say that I do not believe the name Maxwell's demon. The demon sure. part of it, I do not feel is appropriate as such. It's an, ar- it's an archaic term. It, well, it's not just that it's archaic. It's just demons mean something very specific. It's sure. a very specific type of entity that involves itself with hierarchies and commanding legions yeah. of this and that. And um, much in the way that one would call certain insects bugs when in fact bug is a type of insect right it's a similar sort of scenario and here but i'm i'm nitpicking you're saying there's there's no there's sort of no evidence from maxwell's works that this that this 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 you know, creature is in fact a, a demon in that sense exactly this this uh 100 so let's let's discuss maxwell's demon essentially the idea is is that this was a hypothetical being who could break the second law of thermodynamics by selectively allowing molecules of differing energy to move from one vessel to another in an organized manner wow this the demon being a clever little rascal sure. <laughs> would only allow more energetic molecules to pass through this aperture into one vessel and the less energetic molecules to enter through the aperture into another vessel sure so it's it's like it's 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 sending it's sending like red molecules to one whereas it's only sending blue to the other or exactly 100 percent um you nailed it on the head right if you do this long enough um a system at steady state would eventually be turned into two systems at different temperatures right and thus breaking the second law of thermodynamics essentially that cold cannot flow to hot um right i mean and and i mean think about think about this character and especially this character in popular culture when did you it was 150 years ago yes what what um what year would that be that would be 1872 1872 think about the the characters in popular culture at the time that were known for breaking the law and, and things like that uh, imagine how early uh how early and as i said before seminal this character is as as this character right out of the gate is not only a bad boy is not only breaking the law but it's breaking the second law of thermodynamics. Exactly, and, and and that's why he was such a huge hit. He was sort of this mm-hmm. almost this Dickensian rascal character right. going about on the subatomic level, sort mm-hmm. of getting up to no good, soot caked on his face. Right, like a like a like a romantic uh, illustration of a of a, of a bank robber or something. Oh, perhaps um, you know, in in the days of outlaws, the char- a Robin Hood like figure, sure, perhaps sure, a cowboy. Um, you know, immediately when 
when he was unveiled, uh, it, a number of scientists sort of weighed in postulating if such an entity could exist and the characterization of such an ent entity yeah. should they exist. And these postulations sort of end up being the subject of more than one publication that today we might recognize as fan fiction, a very early academic form of fan fiction, but fan right. fiction nonetheless. Um, yeah. Over time, the love for the plucky little rebel died down some. I mean, but we, I mean, but we still see, we still see some of the fan art. Uh, well, ex well, here's MD superfan Rolf Wander struck back, arguing that information could be processed for an arbitrarily small amount of energy, mm -hmm. concluding thus that such an entity could very well exist and, in his own words, have a high probability of being very sexy. Since then. I, There's been a huge amount of back and forth in the physics community right. and the wider sort of science fanned community mm -hmm. um, for Maxwell Zeman. And, and frankly, um, he, she, it, you know, there's so many different sure. depictions, uh, more popular than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just just imagine, just imagine it. Uh, this, this is a this is a demon that y you implied is eating particles, right? It's no, it's merely allowing particles to move. You said it's con somebody argued that it was consuming particles energy yes sure well i mean any any character that involves any form of consumption i think i mean the the possibilities are endless when it comes to when it comes to scientific scientific uh fan uh fan art scientific Absol fan fan publications absolutely absolutely yeah. and and you know um it's it's so wonderful it's really the, about the democratization of science it truly is and, citizen and the, science and, movement and, and the concepts in it um, I mean, just, I mean, just think about it. I, I, I think I hear about, you know, at least a dozen new papers every single year that the Maxwell's demon, you know, shows up. Well, yeah. And, and, and admittedly, some of the work is derivative. Sure. And at some times... of it is not certainly, certainly most of it is not in universe. It's not canon. Oh, of course. Well, how could it be? No. Um, so exactly as you say, to this day, fan art, fan cams, Funko Pops, MD is here to say, and I was hoping, Kai, that you and I could together wish Maxwell's Demon a happy 150th birthday. Yeah, happy 150th birthday. I'm looking forward to all the huge celebrations online on the new medias, all of the, the you know, the short comics, things like that, that are going to, that are there. Um, hopefully fans will come together fans and scientists alike will come together and will will make some some new some new work um, that's better than anything that's come before in celebration of this one one hopes and here's to another 150 there maxi excellent uh, well thank you very much for that Rowan it's a, it's a real feel-good story um, you can certainly be uh, my angel or my demon when it comes to Maxwell's demon um, but it's now time to move on to my story and, and this uh, this week, I'm going to bring something a little bit new, something I've never brought before, a new segment. And it's a segment that I'm calling Eureka Classroom. Wow, okay. So Eureka Classroom, what do you think about when you hear about a Eureka Classroom, Rowan? I think the woods, sitting in a circle around a campfire. Um, perhaps one is playing a guitar and mm. and, and holding leaves up into the moonlight and saying, this is a maple leaf I'm... and children nodding and agreeing right right see and that's and that's great because if you ask any scientist what they think about um when they hear the word classroom not a single one will ever say a classroom which is 100 percent true kids are not meant to be inside classrooms they should be learning 
uh, learning in person. They should be doing real science to learn science. Classrooms are for adults at the end of the day. That is why right. the bulk, we, we, you, you don't see great thinkers coming out of elementary and middle school. You see them coming out of college, coming out of university. Coming out of the cabins in the woods. Exactly. It is not, education in a lot of ways, I feel, is not a place for children. But that's a separate discussion entirely. Right. Well, um, it's certainly the case that because kids are in, in classrooms, sometimes we don't appreciate that children of all ages, um, from the ages of one to uh, right up until 18, it's sort of it's a cutoff at 18. Um, they are a mine of untapped innovation potential. We could be, we could and should be using these kids to fuel our future. We are building a, a future for the children of today. Why not use their energies, use their uh, energies and potentials to help build that future? Well, I have gone on ad nauseum about some of the exciting work that we've been doing with some of our indigo children at the Simon Amy Institute of mm -hmm. Spirit Science, so I won't get into it again. Right. But I will agree with you that children are the future, both in the literal sense that they will grow up and become future society, mm -hmm. but also that they are great for finding new innovations. Yeah, I mean, they, they truly are. And at, at TriSec... At the Chicago Incubator for Space Exploration and Colonization, um, as we all know, uh, what their one wish is that they hope to live in a world where a child can one day dream about moving to the Martian colonies for a better life. And I think that's a very that's a very uh, very hopeful and, and optimistic and ambitious uh, hope to have. I think it's a little bleak, honestly, the idea that children would feel the, the, that they could they would have to leave the Earth to find a new future. Well, I mean, that's just what it's come to, Rowan. Um, but the Chicago Incubator for Space Exploration and Colonization um, has teamed up Chicago Public Schools to plan out the upcoming Mars Integrity Missions, which will be missions to set up Mars for the first human settlements that we plan to have on the planet. Uh, really great stuff. Now, that's... Uh, to help plan out, um, to what extent are these children planning this out? Um, did they pick the name or maybe some artwork that went up? What's what? What's the involvement there? Um, well, they're planning the whole thing out from top to bottom. Obviously, they won't be planning out the rockets that it takes to get there or stuff like that. It's you know we're not making kids do rocket science. We're letting them do the fun stuff, and that is organizing an entire community and how that will look and, and operate very there's there's a number of books that this is very reminiscent of um there is one book that this perhaps could be very reminiscent of are, are, oh? is this being designed with the idea of the children going to the colony and occupying it and being the colonizers themselves um, or, or is this is this for adults i'm i'm what? sorry it, this is rather i'm i'm having a hard time my wrapping my mind around this well both I, I you know the idea is that i mean when we finally get get finally get these martian colonies set up it's going to take a few years mars only comes around every two years or so we want to make sure that we have mars set up it's a house waiting to be moved into it's fully furnished all that sort of stuff um before we actually send people to mars i mean you, you got to set it up you got to prepare the house for the homecoming um so something that children perhaps would know a great yeah, deal about yeah we yeah so we i mean the thing is we chose these children i shouldn't say we i'm not part of it i'm involved a little bit in it it's it's technically tech brothers are sponsoring these kids um to some extent um but these kids were chosen by trisec um because of some excellent essays that they wrote um where they talked about where they talked about their party planning abilities their their planning parties and 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 their 
you know, building cool inventions and, and things like that, their own personal experiences. Uh, so I'm imagining you're getting some high figure children, student body presidents, oh, uh, yeah. perhaps the leaders of the cheer squad to design your um your Martian colony. Well, I mean, the thing is, cheer squads, cheer squads rely on pyramids a lot, which are very important when you're talking about Mars architecture. Um, so, yes, exactly. Um, but these are a group of 20 kids between the ages of 11 and 16 who are chosen based on their essays and are now working together to create the ideal um, living experience on Mars in hopes that children in the future, we're going to be sending kids to these planets eventually, children will be the first Martian colonists. We got to make sure that this that the civilization is geared towards kids. Um, so I know we're running a little low on time, but um, do you want to hear some of these ideas that these kids have had? I'm I'm intrigued, certainly. Yeah. So it's it's still it's still the, the sort of the onset, the beginning of this activity. Um, and this is a three year intensive. These these parents have agreed to take their kids out of school for three years to learn the basics, to learn hands on how to design a Martian colony. But here are just some ideas that that they've had in the. Uh, introductory brainstorming sessions that they've had. Um, they've talked about building a communal garden, a library, a space viewing station. Mm-hmm. Now, and of course, what's the problem on Mars? There's uh, the gravity's a little bit different. We got to stay fit. A climbing wall, great. Scientists would never have thought of that. An esports arena. You've you've got to you've got to fill your days with something. Art on all the bunkers. Think about that. Would engineers think of putting art on bunkers? Some of them. I suppose not, no. Um, Of course, a game room, places for the dogs to play. One of those soda machines where you can choose the flavor, and it's future-proof. That's remarkably specific. Um, Yeah, well, these kids are thinking ahead. These kids are planning for success. And Um, and did the term future-proof come from that child? Yes. These are exact quotes. Um, A music room, a place to just hang out, um, houses and workplaces, solar panels. This is a really good one. A kid recommended putting solar panels or some sort of source of energy is what they said. Solar panels or some source of energy. Well, I, I suppose that would be a requisite. Food, water, mm. satellites. I get the impression some of these children perhaps are a little, um, a little bit sharper than others. Yes, these, these children are in some ways sharper than the scientists they're working with. It's truly an inspiration. Um, a science testing station. A terraforming. They said we recommend bringing terraforming to the planet Mars. Hmm. Autonomous robots. Hmm. Um, all right, and here's some fun ones. Spacesuits. Lights. Always important. Building materials, including carbon fiber, stainless steel, and aluminum. Modular architecture was one that one recommended. I'm certain that that a child said that. Um, optimized hexagonal bases. Magnetic shields of one to two Teslas. Uh, wow. And uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, these kids are really smart the, today's. Um, I believe this is sort of a, a an eighth an eighth grade word if I've ever heard one. Um, sin uh, cyanobacteria crossosidia cis bacteria um to help with farming wow um yeah and ooh, there's there's one here that is my my absolute favorite and i i couldn't agree more with them when they said this but they recommended we bring the latest computers and devices to the planet mars well that you can't leave home without those no why not but but the latest not last year's this year's 
which I am in full agreement with. Um, so uh, uh, it, these are just ideas, or are these – was something gained from this exercise? Well, something is always – Rowan, have you, did, you, did you just ask me if something was gained during a brainstorming session? I, I'm going to say yes. Everything was gained during a brainstorming session. Um, hopefully in the, future, in, in the next few weeks, this group will work on their team name for what their team is going to be called when they're building these, this Martian colony. Um, they're going to be working with scientists uh, and, and attending and attending, you know, uh, building sessions and and and, um, and things like that with some of the leading engineers from Trisec. Um, and they're going to be basically drawing and and catting out and, and doing all the necessary uh, preparations over the course of the next three years, working ten-hour days, seven days a week to make sure this colony is as good as anybody their generation would ever want. Well, at the very least, they're getting some something to put on their resume, I guess, for this yeah. whole exercise. Well, <laughs> I mean, if we even if they even think we need resumes on Mars, maybe that's the next innovation. I, 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 we are running low on time, but w just to clarify, how much assistance are they receiving from adults in this process? Um, as little as possible. They we we want to make sure that these these ideas. A lot of times, education. We don't. It, 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 the more education we do, the less we get back from it. This is a this is a true experiment in in teaching kids how to educate themselves, um, which is which is how true scientists and and, and technologists, uh, in fact, learn. Well, that certainly is fascinating. Um, but I think we are running into the mid-show portion now. Excellent. Um, I actually have something for us. Oh, wonderful! Please. Um, um, so, as you know, I think the best thing to meditate on for anybody is um is meditating on statistics so what i've brought is uh our three to three statistics one better than the last about neighborhoods from chicago based on the chicago neighborhood database project oh fantastic always good to get some local news local data out exactly. there um so the first statistic only 42 percent of the neighborhood um, of the neighbors in the hamilton illinois way neighborhood are disruptive, and this is from a poll that we've taken. Well, that's not too terrible. No, I it, would, I would, more than fifty-eight percent of my neighbors are uh, are, are disruptive where I'm right. living here next to the yeah. yards. We found that four forty-two is a good number for disruptive neighbors. More than sixty-eight percent of the bars in Buck Sheffield in the Buck Sheffield neighborhood are beautiful. Wow. Yeah, and that's, I mean. When we're talking about bars being beautiful, that's a very good number. That that is a wonderful number. Um, yeah, you're giving. There's a lot of places I I would a lot of neighborhoods I guess that I've overlooked before. Yeah. Um, if you're ever bar crawling, think about the Buck Sheffield neighborhood. And finally, actually, I have two more. First one: only nine percent of the pizzerias in the Portage Deerway neighborhood are family friendly. Well, um, surprising. It must be difficult for it must be difficult for children in Portage Deerway to go and get a slice of pizza. Then, yeah, that's why I recommend no children go there. Um, and then the final one: nearly forty three percent of the parks in the Went uh, Palmerace neighborhood are community oriented. Wow, the rest of them are oriented around other things. I don't know what they are, but they're not communities. Well, that was fascinating, Kai. Um, we are going to take a short station break. And when we return, we will come back with our special feature. Please stay tuned. Radio. 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 
And we are back. We are back. Welcome back, everybody. And th- for this special feature this week, um, I'm very excited because although <laughs> I think the big story here is the International Day of Code, which is taking place tomorrow, February 14th. Uh, yes, a huge story that... Um, a global story. Of course. Um, I, is accounted by all the research institutions internationally around the world. But there is something else that's going on tomorrow that sort of touches on something that honestly... We don't talk about enough, and that is, well, the science and tech of love. Absolutely. Um, We have had a few stories that touched on this before, Mm. and I know personally, through my involvement with the Simon Amy Project for a New Love, Mm -hmm. that there is so much interesting work coming out of the fields of studying relationships and the psychology and in some cases the psychiatry of love right and and come this coming out so close to valentine's day we felt it would be interesting to touch on some scientific metrics or science-based metrics that you can use to evaluate your relationship um perhaps even on valentine's day right the really the sciences of relationships are are widely applicable they're applicable to not just people but um not just like one-on-one relationships but relationships between groups of people and what we want to do and what valentine's day really is from a scientific perspective is thinking about the metrics the ways that we in citizen scientists out there and uh, scientists proper alike can capture and leverage the relationships in your life I don't know if I would necessarily put it that way, but I will say that by using these sort of quantifiable methodologies or semi-quantifiable methodologies... You can hack your relationships. And or you can evaluate if the relationship you are a part of or perhaps just starting is worthwhile, Mm -hmm. if if they are worth it, if it is something that will, will, uh, you know, last and, and be... You know, sustainable and fulfilling for everyone involved. Right. Unlike so, un- unlike a computer program, sometimes you're coding something and you try to press compile, and well, there's an issue. And so, what happens is you get an error message. There are just no error messages. There are no er- error messages that are so obvious in um, in relationships. No, uh, it's and 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 that's something that I know. I personally, I wish that. I had some of the more scientific understanding of compatibility that I do now mm-hmm. when I was going through a lot of my relationship issues yeah. uh, young as a younger man and sort of engaging with these individuals who perhaps were not very good for me and perhaps was not a pleasant time and and you know I wish that I had a scientific way to have ana- analyzed the situation I was in and and said no enough is enough i'm tired right. of going to sweet tomatoes with you i'm tired that this is the only thing you're willing to eat at this salad bar i'm so sick of it um and, and at the time if i was if i had known these things at the time i would have known that that issue with that specific salad bar mm-hmm. was a symptom of a deeper incompatibility right there are just there are just people that you are incompatible with there are ways that you are not utilizing the 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 benefits and correct strategies in your relationships that are making those relationships uh not as good and and you know as as time goes on the goal is to learn those 
le learn the warning signs and improve in your relationship. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the, well, the, the, the differences between good and bad relationships. And, and we're going to, we're separating those between, uh, between things that, you know, we're relatively uh, familiar with. Those being green flags for good things and red flags for bad things. Right. And it's worth stressing that these few points we are going to be bringing up are not a substitute for communication mm -hmm. and for evaluating things in a more holistic sort of sense. Mm -hmm. One metric by itself is not necessarily capable of capturing the full picture but one right. requires there to be metrics in the first place so, yes. to to start the groundwork so consider this merely as a number of scientifically backed tools with which you can determine if this this is, looks good or this looks bad a green right. flag red flag some scientists use electron microscopes some scientists use green flags and red flags. And we will be talking about the science that uses the latter. Yes. So let's start with green flags because let's start on a positive note. Right. I feel that's important. Mm -hmm. So one thing, and this is something I wish I had learned not to, to go back to the salad bar issue, mm -hmm. but a green flag, something that is very helpful in right. a relationship is that yeah. they their diet and therefore their body fluids have a similar pH range to yours. Yes, and that's that compatibility we're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. So some experts, and I'm using experts with quotes here, will argue that the only healthy pH is a high pH, is a high pH, right. a alkaline pH. These experts, quote unquote charlatans and liars and then everyone has their own correct bodily ph it right. is on a spectrum some are more acidic than average others more basic mine happens to be acidic and frankly everyone by this point just just as a matter of personal health and caring about one's wellness should right. know what their personal ph should be right their pp so i'm not going to get into that but if you do need a refresher on how to properly evaluate and measure your pp simon A. P. published a wonderful guide called are you a donator or an acceptor protons mm -hmm. explained to the people yeah but, and the thing is thing is ph it's on a spectrum absolutely so, I mean, don't, you shouldn't think about people being necessarily, you know, basic or acidic. You should be thinking about where do you fall on the spectrum and whether or not the, it sounds like the person that you are, uh, you are engaging with, the, the, the person you're trying to be compatible with is, um, in that same range of, of, uh, of, I mean, appropriate pHs. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, short of doing certain somewhat invasive tests to very, very cleanly determine um, an individual's uh, personal pH, right. uh, you can guess at it easily enough. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just based on what they're eating. So if you're on a date, say, see what food they order, mm -hmm. or if you do get invited back to their house, check their refrigerator, check their pantry, see right. what they are consuming, what they are putting into their body, because that is going to obviously dictate what their 
um, pH is. So, for example, if they're consuming a lot of citrus, a lot of vinegar, soda, etc., they're probably on the acidic side of things, yes. such as myself. On the other hand, if it's things like leafy greens, peppers, or bone, that's in indicative of a basic body pH. Sure. To go back to my ex, all of this this salad bar all issue, this the, 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 the kale and, 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 and having to go back to the same one each time because they had the croutons that she liked just the way she liked them. I had to go other places, the croutons were. The point being is that with all of those leafy greens entering mm -hmm. her ungrateful, unpaying body, that was a basic body pH that I would have to pay for. You're, yeah, you're saying that she, she was incredibly basic. I am absolutely. And that's why my acidic. Yeah ph it, it it just it didn't mesh it didn't, it didn't work out it did not vibe thank you thank you so much um and basically but once you have that figured out reevaluate your relationship based on how similar of a ph you share with your partner right. the, the closer your ph is the more likely you are to be compatible and vice versa and perhaps there's even a warning sign here it don't when you are out with a partner you want to make sure that each each person in that relationship even at the outsets the beginnings of the, those relationships have a good idea of what that other person's ph is so don't just eat what comes naturally don't don't try to hide your ph by eating more leafy greens than you would usually right right and and i think the, the thing to keep in mind and and perhaps maybe a, a heuristic to help you remind you of this is that when you add an acid and a base together they react to form salt and water mm -hmm. and scientifically speaking we know that salt and water are the ingredient of tears. Um, that is that was wonderful, Rowan. Thank you. Um, certainly something to keep in mind. My green flag, uh, again, something that is always uh, sort of important to keep in mind, um, is some recent scientific uh, research that scientists have had on the ideas um, of relationship knowledge. If you forget, uh, Rowan, have you heard of relationship knowledge before? I've heard of relationship wisdom, mm -hmm. I'm but I'm imagining knowledge is not quite the same thing as that. No, it's more, not as we know, wisdom and knowledge mean two different things. Wisdom is considerably more difficult to scientifically you know, pin down than knowledge is. And yet it is the fountainhead from which all science flows. Sure. Um, but the idea is, uh, if you think about relationships... If you, one of the biggest red flags that we hear about all the time is if your spouse or your uh, partner or whomever um, forgets important dates like birthdays, anniversaries, religious holidays, perhaps even facts like family members' names, your personal opinions or preferences on you know, diced uh, olives or something, um, you may be inclined to think that that person lacks uh, love or appreciation for you. It's, it's a common a common idea held by I mean, scientists and citizen scientists alike. The, the idea being that if an individual is in a relationship with someone who is forgetful about their details. Important that, details, yes. That, that they are um, as not in, in tune with the relationship. Yes. And, and you're saying that that is not actually indicative well, of... I'm just about to, yes. This is this is uh, often referred to as, as relationship knowledge, those things. And, I mean, it was believed that it was, in fact, that, that you could not have... Um, sort of a, a, a the same level of love or appreciation for somebody if you did not have this these important relationship uh, knowledge uh, to to have and share with that person. But a recent study shows that that is one hundred percent totally wrong. Um, hmm. 
yeah. Now it's it's very difficult to again, as I said, pin down certain concepts like wisdom or love or appreciation or even thoughtfulness. Some scientists think they can they can measure thought thoughtfulness, but there's not a lot of evidence to support that theory. Um, and that's just because these are abstract and they're sort of cultural ideas and ideals. Um, so we need to find something that we can study. Um, but and, and and we did. These scientists did what they found was just as good um, in two specific measurements. The, those were the measurements of somebody's awareness and their longing. Hmm. Um, which I mean, I think I think we can all agree are very good substitutions for love and appreciation or whatever you want to put in that area. I, I mean, I suppose that it could be um, perhaps they're all on the sort of same front with which you'll find scattered along ideas of love, like companionship and what have right. you. It's sort of the same the same beautiful waveform that right. perhaps two waveforms overlaced on one another, dancing together to form a new waveform. And then you a could take waveform. that waveform and put it with another waveform. Right. And then that waveform bounces back and it's on the other side. It's incredible, yes. Yeah, I mean, and what is truly more romantic than being aware of your partner? I'd say not much. Um, so spouses or partners or whatever, um, it was found that spouses or partners who did not have this relationship knowledge, um, who scored negatively on the relationship knowledge in the classical sense, actually scored on average 30% higher on tests of awareness and longing of their partner. Um, and I mean, this demonstrates, frankly, I, I think conclusively that these these partners hold what we classically understand to be a deeper appreciation of their significant others. Well, that's 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 really quite fascinating. So this is a, this is a green flag, is what I'm saying. It, it might be possible that if your partner does not remember your birthday, it just means they love you more. That's that's very fascinating, and I think that that goes to show that love can be counterintuitive sometimes, right? Which is why it makes it so fascinating to study mm -hmm. and alter, Exa exactly, and innovate in. Yes, I and disrupt. Absolutely. So with that, with those two sort of ways to see good things yes. in a relationship, we're going to move to red flags because mm -hmm. I think in some ways red flags are more important than green flags. I, 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 yes, definitely. The, the damage that a bad relationship can do can oftentimes have such longer lasting reverberating effects than even a really great relationship um right you know in things such as you know seeing things out and about in the daytime when you're going to the grocery store that make you sad because you re you're reminded of this terrible relationship right. you had or perhaps driving along the, the the freeway and you see something advertising an endless salad bar and and, and you know it, it your gut just curls up into a to a tight knot when you see that right and 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 the thing is not all not all good relationships last and, and that's just a fact not all good relationships um are meant to be as it were that may not be a scientific idea but it's true but all bad relationships end badly and you can you can bet you can bet your uh your your uh, heart-shaped box of candies on that. Absolutely. So let's start off with um, a red flag. And this one I'm actually quite happy to discuss because this is something I feel that gets swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. And people give me the strangest looks when I bring this up, even amongst my coworkers when we're discussing our our sort of our loves and our relationships mm -hmm. as and, you, our, and, our, and our love making, as a matter of fact. As you do. I, uh, when, when I say that scent 
plays such an important role in the acquisition and maintenance of a loving relationship. Mm -hmm. So if you are find yourself involved with someone whom you cannot smell, that is a red flag. Yes. So just so so you're so you're saying if you if you're next to somebody and and you know you get really close and you still do not pick up on any any scent good or or, or bad um that is that is that is not a good thing. Absolutely. Um 100% and an individual should have a um should have an a, a, a an odor to them because when you are in a relationship that odor um, it just it, it becomes associated with them, and in that way, it can bring you such joy and and love and uh, like a thrilling titillation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm I'm no brap hog, as it were. I am merely speaking about a, the general non-offensive body odor of an individual or individuals. Right now, they're not talking about perfumes or colognes or anything. No, a nat- the natural odor, mm-hmm. and there is. A great deal of studies looking at the sort of the the play that smell has with relationships and how mm-hmm. relationships fun- function. And just as a microcosm, just this last year in 2020, mm-hmm. a study was published in the journal Psychological Science, mm. and it found that on average, individuals slept nine minutes longer when in the presence of the scent of their partner or partners wow so i mean this is it's the small things is what you're saying it it has this wide swath of positive effects you see some more positive effects when in the presence of the scent of a loved one in fields like stress management uh, all these positive effects stress management cognition sexual prowess agility um all of these things directly tied in with the presence of a loved one's smell yes around them yes and- I, I mean it's it's very often for somebody to say to their spouse like you make me better or something but in this case it's specifically the the spouse or partner's smell that is in fact making you better at all these different things absolutely absolutely and if you are in a relationship or thinking of entering into a relationship with mm-hmm. an individual who has no natural odor you're going to be missing out on this wide array of of, of benefits uh, benefits yes. absolutely 100 percent. and at a certain point you know when one is thinking of entering a relationship one needs to consider how does this person make me feel mm. and you know, conversely, for oneself, perhaps if you are on the other side of this, if your relationship is on the rocks, if you're having a hard time in your relationship, um, perhaps consider skipping a shower or two. Maybe yeah. you'll find that that will that will reinvigorate things in a sense. It, I mean, yeah, it, it certainly it certainly could not hurt. Is the thing absolutely not? Um, well, that's excellent. This is this is some very very good information, Rowan. Um, but it's not time to move on to my final red flag. Um, and this is, again, I, I think I've brought two very good anti, uh, non-common sense, um, you know, a- a- anti uh, what you might think Surpri- stories. Surprising, counterintuitive, yes, perhaps. Yes, counterintuitive stories. And this is, this is one that, um, I mean, one of the largest, um, one of the largest and most blatant issues um, is um, if your partner, and this is, this is the common sense part. This is the, the one that we all know. If your partner is not willing to work on your relationship, that is a bad thing. That is a that is a red flag. 
Um, of course. That is, that is an obvious one. We're talking about scientific ones. Um, so the question is, why do, why do we work on things? Let's get down to the base science with it. Well, we work on things to streamline them, to innovate them, to make them better. And, I mean, if your partner is looking to settle down, some people may think this is a sign of a, a good partner. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just a huge red flag. Stagnation is the largest cause of failure in business, in uh, science, in technology, and in relationships as well. In relationships, in all these fields, we are looking for continuing growth, always making things better. Well, that's that is certainly an interesting take. That is certainly an interesting way to look at it, mm-hmm. um, because oftentimes people see the quote unquote settling down as an ideal of of you finding a comfortable niche and it's you know digging in as right. it were. And and you're arguing against that. Oh, I'm arguing that if if somebody tells you that they feel that way, if somebody says they see that as their ideal. You see a red flag right there, and that is a, that is a huge warning sign for the longevity of your relationship. Um, so developing intimacy is a good thing. So it's it, it's important to here's some just other tips, some general tips for you know making sure you are streamlining your stagnating relationship. The first one is you want to make sure that you develop intimacy with your partner. Consider referring to them by their first name. Hmm. It's a very it's a very good idea to develop intimacy, and this is going to make it easier to streamline uh, those parts of your relationship. Um, so consistency, some, some consistency is good, but as you are staying consistent, as you are doing things, the real big important part is taking data because the real romance comes from disruption. Hmm. It's important to have, it's to have date nights, to, to have uh, sort of intimate nights, to have certain, have a schedule for things. That's, that's all fine and good, but try changing those days. Specifically, try changing those days without telling your spouse or partner about them and seeing if you can innovate on them. You can find better days. And don't be afraid to use complex algorithms when you try to do this. Uh, the more technology you add to something, the better it's going to get. Um, one, another thing is it's important to compliment your partner at regular intervals. This is that intimacy that, that we, that we uh, talked about. Um, make sure you, you, you compliment your partner on re- regular intervals, but... Try changing up the content, uh, the compliments. Try complimenting them on the length of their face or the the way their speech, you know, flies through the air. Find new things to compliment about them. Sure. Try or try complimenting them a lot more or a lot less than you used to. That's gonna elicit notice from your partner, and that's going to spice up your relationship. Right. So. So, so for for example, uh, every okay. every thirteen days. Perhaps you can ask your partner if they if they've got a new haircut. That's a consistency there. Um, well, now that you've developed that consistency, that control, try changing it up. Try asking if they have a new haircut twice a day, and see how they respond. Uh, Kai, I these this is all very fascinating, and I think it it, it really paints a very interesting picture of um, what your mind looks like but my question to this and i know you have some more but very quickly have you ever been in a relationship kai several with humans sure yes i'm rowan i i have an entire i have many relationships i i mean i as i said tomorrow i am having this international relationship with so many friends that share my interests around around the world oh well i'd say that's the largest relationship that you can have it's an academic one 
and and here's just one more tip for keeping uh for making sure that you are always streamlining and trying to innovate your relationship and that is appeal to your partner's sense of data when they want to acquire or buy something ask your partner say they want to buy a new coffee table Mm -hmm. ask them do we need that coffee table couldn't we move from one side of the living room to the other side two seconds quicker without it and isn't that more important try to use charts and visualizations when trying to convey these very important ideas and what in, in in this case, what would you say if even despite all of that and analysis that they still wanted the coffee table? What would you say? In I'd that? say that's a very big red flag. Thank you very much, Kai. That's mm-hmm. um that certainly is some something to think about. I yes. think I think I think we've a lot of interesting points were made tonight, but I do believe it is time for the citizen science. My favorite show time of the show. So I have something here from John. Uh, mm. and he says and I'm not sure what this is in reference to, but perhaps we can figure it out together. Mm-hmm. It is actually a solvent that our bodies create in order to cleanse. There never will be a cure for the cold virus. It's needed. It's all vibrationally triggered, like karma. Our tailbone stores a record of our lives' experiences, and it keeps us from repeating lessons learned. This is this is fascinating. This is clearly in a comment on sort of the maybe a picture of the skeletal system where people are talking about the different uses, the different important parts of bones. Few people really understand the importance of the tail bone. People think maybe it's a leftover from the vestigial tail or something like that. But but in fact, it's probably the most important bone in the body. The coccyx, as it's known, is absolutely a seat of memory of lived experiences of introspection mm-hmm. um the thing that throws me for a loop is, is and i'd love i really hope john is listening and can get in contact with mm-hmm. us over this because i want to know what solvent he's referring to because a solvent that our bodies create in order to cleanse there's so many that it could be and the fact that it's vibrationally triggered is not narrowing it down enough for my purposes. It could be any number of things. It could be cholesterol. It could be ketones. It could be bile. Mm -hmm. It could be black bile. It could be yellow phlegm. It could be any number of these things that in there. And and I just want want to get a better idea of what he's talking about. Well, Rowan, if I could make a suggestion for where you can look. Certainly. I'd look in the tailbone. All right, I'd like to close on a quote by... Tolbert Hahn, or I guess the French pronunciation is Tolbert Hahn, who said this. History makes engineers, but engineers make history. Eureka Cast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers New Media Labs in Chicago, Illinois. We are broadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. Central Standard Time on WLPN LP 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. And rebroadcast every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WIIT 88.9 FM Chicago. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at EurekaCast on Twitter and Instagram. Or visit our website at awcyfm.com slash EurekaCast to do any number of things from contacting us to 
hearing past shows. Uh, Rowan, I think we have some other social media, don't we? We do. If you do engage in other forms of social media, please feel free to find us at facebook.com slash awcyfm or send an electronic mail to awcyfm at gmail.com mm -hmm. where you can share with us any technological, scientific, or spiritual breakthroughs you have witnessed or participated in. Additionally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program, feel free to reach out at that email, which is once again awcyfm at gmail.com. And with that all out of the way, Chicago, allow us here at Eureka Cast Now to drop the curtain on tonight's program with dignity and a mind filled to the brim. Keep it spicy.